Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks for joining us on our podcast, uh, Freedom Fighters. Boy, uh, what a week. And if you'd listen to the national media, you'd think, boy, life is over for conservatives as we know it. Well, that's just not the case. Obviously, uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, Donald J. Trump and Mike Pence taking their oath of office for a second term. There's no doubt about that. That's disappointing. Uh, and uh, we've obviously had plenty of discussions about that. But I think it's important for all of us as conservatives to sit back and realize we should actually feel pretty good about where we're at today. And we shouldn't be satisfied. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I want to make sure that four years from now, there's a conservative in the White House. I, I want to make sure that the House and the Senate are in better hands going forward. But, but think about it. In fact, I said this all the way back to uh, the day after the November election, that if you set aside the presidential election, it is remarkable for all the hype and hysteria about the supposed blue wave, for all the polls that showed that House Republicans were going to lose the talk in D.C. was anywhere between 5 and 15 seats. We didn't have a blue wave. In fact, it was kind of a dud uh, when it comes to Democrats. In many ways, they should be disappointed. And I want to spell out, you know, I, I talked about it in today's Washington Times, but I, I want to spell it out a little bit more in depth here for you. Now, first off, one of the great scenes the other day and an otherwise disappointing day uh, at the inauguration was seeing the members of the United States Supreme Court come out. And I know uh, I, I tweeted, I uh, put up on, on my social media an image, actually uh, two Two screen image. One was from my seat four years ago at the inauguration, uh, where I, the president was uh, at that time. Uh, president Trump was taking the oath of office. His family was standing with him. I and the other governors were seated behind the the family and Mike Pence and his family and others. And I tweeted that this was the shot. This was the view that drove liberals crazy in 2017. And then right below it, I said, "This is the picture. This is the image." that drove liberals crazy in 2021. And it was the image in her robe of justice, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah, to me, that alone should be a great reminder about why, uh, one of the many reasons why conservatives should be optimistic about the future. 6-3, we've got uh, Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett, We've got Justice Kavanaugh. We've got Justice Korshik. And we've got uh, not just a conservative majority, but a way to offset someone I think increasingly has grown uh, away from those conservative. And by conservative, I mean it from a judicial standpoint. People just literally follow the Constitution and those laws duly enacted, no more, no less. And we've got enough justices on the Supreme Court going forward to actually follow through with that promise. And to me, if there was nothing else that came of the last four years with President Donald J. Trump, that alone was worth it. It's part of the reason when I go back to the 2016 elections, for many of us as conservatives, we looked at his list of people that he said he would appoint if there were vacancies on the Supreme Court, and the fact that he picked Mike Pence, a solid, full-spectrum conservative, to be his running mate, those two things alone were the things that, uh, for many of us who were otherwise suspect, because remember, Donald Trump hadn't run for office before. He'd actually given the political candidates in either party. His comments over the past 40 or 50 years in public life were kind of all over the place. Uh, I even mentioned it when I suspended my own campaign for president, uh, that I was looking for a positive, conservative alternate alternative. Uh, to the front runner, who at the time, I didn't say it by name, but was Donald Trump. 
I admit it. I, I was wrong. I, I actually supported Ted Cruz. That wasn't wrong, but I supported Ted Cruz in the primary. But I admitted I was wrong about my concerns because if you look at the list of things out there, judicial appointments being one of the preeminent things, but you look at the fact massive tax relief for the hardworking people, overwhelmingly uh, given to uh, the working men and women and their families of America, regulatory reform that saved those same working families thousands of dollars. Um, I mentioned the judicial appointments, not just to the Supreme Court, but over 200 nominated and approved on the federal bench, in many cases making dramatic shifts on the Court of Appeals around the country, uh, taking away the, the, the majorities that previously had just been activist federal courts when it came to the Court of Appeals. You think about today, a day which sadly we think back to Roe v. Wade, the decision uh, back in the early 1970s, and and uh, the fact that since then we've had tens of millions of lives, innocent lives lost, and how tragic that is. This president, Donald J. Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, together led an administration that was as much as I love Ronald Reagan, and I do. This last four years, this administration was more pro-life than any we've seen, certainly in my lifetime. You add all that, standing up for religious liberties, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, uh, standing up for peace in the Middle East, uh, revitalizing the American military. I mean, on issue after issue after issue, uh, we should be proud that we had a president and a vice president and their team put in place some of the most remarkable conservative policies over the last four years. And like I said, top of the list to me was the impact that it will have for literally decades, if not generations, on the U.S. Supreme Court. There's other reasons to be optimistic as well. Yeah, no doubt. Again, I, as a conservative, I'm not thrilled with Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer as the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, I'd love to see that changed in the future. But for the time being, one of the benefits we have is because of how close the margins are and because of people like Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has repeatedly said uh, that he will not vote to end the filibuster. I think that's incredibly important because every day I literally get up and I, I pray for our leaders, Democrat, Republican, House, Senate, all levels of government, those in the public and the private sector as well. I pray for our leaders. So I, I did that under Trump. I did that under Obama. I did that under Bush. I'm going to continue to do that uh, for the next four years as, as Joe Biden is president of the United States. But I also particularly pray for Joe Manchin to continue to have that backbone. It makes sense for him politically. Let's not pretend that this is some sort of moral cause on his part. This is a guy who is a senator in a state that overwhelmingly went for Donald Trump, a state in which his, his governor switched from being a Democrat to Republican, for which many people think he would do. I don't think he does that because right now he's the most powerful man in the Senate. And I think you probably have a few other senators, uh, Democrats and key swing states like Arizona and others who, who will be along there with him. Uh, and even a few in, in states that aren't swing states who understand that from an institutional standpoint, I think of someone like a Dianne Feinstein, and realize she probably has no great interest in changing the filibuster either. Why that's important? Why that's important is things like packing the court, adding seats to the U.S. Supreme Court are off the table if there is no uh, end to the filibuster, because there is no way, there's no way they get uh, 
to enough votes to break the filibuster if they're pushing radical ideas like that. It probably takes off the table things like the so-called Green New Deal, which is not clean. Uh, it's it's not, certainly not new. It's rehashed socialism from the past. Uh, we probably see a lot of other radical ideas not happen. There will be some problems. There's no doubt about it with reconciliation where they don't need uh, a supermajority. They'll probably pass some tax increases and some other things that will not be good for the hardworking people and the employers of America. Uh, but by and large, the really radical, crazy ideas that people like AOC and others are pushing will not get through the United States Senate. Why that's good is I go back to 1992, and, and I remember how, you know, after two terms of Reagan and what many felt like a third term when uh, his vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, was elected, uh, we were riding high and strong. Of course, then Bush allowed a tax increase to go through in the middle of his term, and things dramatically changed. Ross Perot got in the mix, and Bill Clinton won. Actually, won twice, uh, but Bill Clinton won particularly in 1992 with less than a majority. It's always convenient when liberals forget to mention that when they complain about things in the last few years in elections. But he won with less than a majority because of the strong showing of Ross Perot. Uh, but with Clinton in office, many of us as conservatives at the time were decimated. We were, we were devastated. We were, we were beyond concern. And we had right to be. Because remember, in the first almost two years or so Bill Clinton was in office, he pushed some pretty radical ideas. Amongst the media today, he's portrayed as a moderate, as a, a new Democrat. Uh, but the fact of the matter was, in his first half of his first term in office, he was pushing things like Hillary Care. And again, thanks to some really focused attention, I still remember the ads, the couple sitting in their kitchen uh, talking about how, um, how horrific Hillary Care would be to them and to their families, uh, that, that ads like that drew attention, held the ground, it didn't make its way through the Congress, but it did send a message to the American voters that Bill Clinton needed a check. And so in 1994, largely driven by the unbelievable leadership of Newt Gingrich, who wasn't satisfied being in the minority. Sadly, before that, many Republican leaders were just satisfied being the loyal opposition. Now, Newt put together a coalition, created the contract with America, spelled out the clear contrast, what Republicans had to offer as a contrast to Bill Clinton. And in the 94 elections, they only won the House, they won the Senate. Uh, Republicans carried both chambers for the first time since 1952. Conservatives need to remember that. What did they do? They offered a optimistic, visionary contrast to what the Bill Clinton and his administration's liberal policies were. So when I look ahead, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to have a conservative in the White House. I'd prefer to have a conservative leadership in the House and the Senate. But as long as Manchin stays true to his word and probably a few others along with him, um, we don't see the really crazy radical ideas happening. We don't see the power shifting for a generation ideas. Instead, we kind of have to hold our nose with the nonsense. And probably more than anything, we just see gridlock, which I got to tell you, as a conservative, gridlock in Washington is okay with me. Because the more they do things, not just on the left, but sadly, all too often, sometimes Republicans, or at least some Republicans, are part of the nonsense. You know, bipartisanship, I spelled out once years ago in front of a House committee, didn't like it very much. I said, well, you know, bipartisanship to me is a little bit overrated. When I look at the national debt, 
Uh, I think that's a byproduct of both political parties, and I think that's a, a good example why bipartisanship uh, isn't a good thing. If anything, we need to shake things up and get people more serious, like the rest of us are in our homes and our small businesses across this great country. So I look at all those things and I say, there's reason to be hopeful. I throw in what I've said before, and that is the fact that the states where the action is, I would argue, you know, 40 years ago this week in his inaugural address on January 20th, 1981, one of my favorite lines, <clears throat> of course, as a governor, you might expect this. One of my favorite lines was when Ronald Reagan said, we should all remember the federal government did not create the states. The states created the federal government. That's a great reminder that that's where the action is. That's where our founders intended. They, they wanted to push the power that wasn't spelled out in the U.S. Constitution back into the, into the states and, more importantly, into the hands of the American people. That, to me, is a, not just an American principle. It's inherently a conservative principle. Push it closer to where the people are at. Let the people decide. We put our faith in the government. Liberals, progressive, socialists, communists, they all put their faith in the government, whether it's at the federal, the state, or the local level, and they like to push it up. You know, the, the more elite, the control, the better for them. Uh, we want to push it back to the people. And so control of the states in its own right is really important uh, and a positive thing for conservatives. Uh, you look now, there's an overwhelming majority of, of Republicans and conservatives uh, in charge of state legislative seats all across this great country. Add to that, there's a majority of the governors in America are Republicans. In fact, again, for all that talk about a blue wave, didn't happen. Um, added seats uh, in the legislature, added an additional governorship in Montana, picked up uh, three new chambers for Republicans, maintained all the rest of them they had. That's important for all the big things and for all the big decisions that are going to have to happen. There's going to be a stark contrast uh, between Republican-led and Democrat-led states over the next year or two, particularly in light of all the changes, all the changes in revenues that have come in with the shutdowns and whatever funding levels there might be from the federal government uh, via so-called stimulus or other things in that regard. It's going to be really, really important that conservatives at the state level stand up and use those majorities to protect the best interest of the American people, the hardworking taxpayers. And that puts us in a good position. But it also leads up to something at the federal level. In 2022, every single member of Congress will be running, except in those handful of states, there's seven states uh, for which their size precludes them having more than one congressional district. So other than those states, 43 states will have new boundaries for every member of Congress. And almost all, with a few exceptions, there are some states that have commissions, but almost all of those states will have boundaries drawn by members of the state legislature. And so having these super majorities where Republicans, where conservatives are in charge, I've said is, is one of the untold stories of the 2020 election. You know, Eric Holder poured literally hundreds of millions of dollars through his group and the cronies working with him to try and take over state legislative bodies, to win state offices, and to take over the courts in many of these states. And for the last few years, he'd had some success we saw it in North Carolina, where his work to put liberal activists on the state Supreme Court uh, and, and even on the lower courts uh, actually forced changes that ended up costing uh, Republicans uh, some congressional seats. We saw it in Pennsylvania, uh, where the impact was on the boundaries, even though Republicans in the legislature drawn them, a 6-2 liberal activist majority had an impact there, not just a in fact went beyond just the impact on boundaries. It, it's part of the reason why um, 
there was real consternation about what happened in the presidential election. Uh, the state legislature set very clear rules uh, and the state Supreme Court overrode those because of the activists there. But, but looking at, at where we sit today and where we're headed uh, between now and the 2022 election, the reality is that conservatives in most of these states are going to draw those boundaries. And if you have constitutionally sound, concise districts based on communities of interest, if those boundaries are fair using those terms, using those guidelines that the courts have given uh, state legislative bodies in the past, conservatives are going to win. Yeah, we've seen it across America. Uh, it's why Eric Holder, as much as the, the media bought into his nonsense that somehow he was going to draw fair districts to deal with what he called Republican gerrymandering, the opposite is true. The 990 form that his nonprofit organization uh, actually filed with the IRS, so the federal document they filed a few years back, spells out that their, their mission statement was to put Democrats in a positive position in redistricting. It wasn't to draw fair maps. Uh, the bottom line is that conservatives win if there are fair boundaries in the states across America. Why? As conservative ideas work. Historically, what have we seen? Liberals win when they talk, at least in, in part, like conservatives and lose if they govern like liberals. Republicans win when they govern like conservatives and they lose when they govern like liberals. It's a simple strategy out there. It's worked time and time again across America. And so that gets to the other point is that really the, one of the other important messages for conservatives is to get back to the basics, to get back to the fundamentals. Um, and don't exclude people along the way for all the talk and attention about the presidential election. Even if you set aside some very legitimate concerns about voter irregularities or in my state I've talked about some of the issues about absentee ballots where they very clearly did not follow the state statutes. Whether or not that would have changed the outcome, we never got to have a fair and open discussion about that in the state Supreme Court. But there were legitimate questions raised along the way. Set that aside for a minute. And just look, even despite all that, this is someone, this president faced unprecedented attacks from the media. He paid, uh, faced relentless attacks uh, from people on social media, even got to the point where uh, big tech of late sanctioned him specifically, but even before the November election, went after stories in places like the New York Post, a reputable national, one of the nation's largest and longest running uh, newspapers. Uh, they put a check on what could come out of stories uh, from a publication like the New York Post. All those biases, all that pushback, a global pandemic unlike any I've seen in our lifetime. And yet, even if you set aside questions about voter irregularities, he almost won. And, and so part of the takeaway from that is, uh, I think part of the reason, despite some of the challenges on Twitter, or despite uh, some of the issues of comments made and all these other things out there, the bottom line is that Americans like a conservative message. They like it when people actually do the things they promise when it fulfills that conservative agenda. I think a big part of the reason why the president got as close as he did and why he gained ground uh, with uh, Hispanic Americans, African Americans, other groups that historically have not come out in large numbers and did better than he did four years ago is because he fulfilled those promises. 
He fulfilled the promise to stand up and provide families and parents in particular with educational opportunities for their children. He fulfilled the promise to stand up and deliver on the right to life issue and stand up for religious freedoms. He fulfilled the promise to provide more economic opportunities, particularly in some of the most challenged communities across the country. That's an important lesson for conservatives going forward is to make big and bold promises and then to fulfill them, to back them up, not just with words, but with actions. Uh, that, to me, I think is an important message going forward. On top of that, I think there's a whole wave of Americans who were attracted to President Trump because they felt that they were the forgotten men and women of this country. They felt that for too often, for too many years, if not decades, too many of the politicians in either political, major political party forgot them in our nation's capital, in many cases, forgot them in our state capitals as well. And so he was a champion for the working men and women of America. Conservatives can be that as well. You know, prior to Donald Trump, the, the last time we really had that kind of populism was with Ronald Reagan. Again, someone who was viewed by working men and women. There was a phrase at the time called Reagan Democrats. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily Democrat or Republican. It's just people who have felt forgotten. We need to stand up and defend them. We need to protect them. Well, whether Donald Trump's ever on the ballot again or not, the bottom line is conservatives need to get back to the basics. It's part of the reason why I'm excited to be coming in as the new leader at Young America's Foundation, where you can find out more at yaf.org. Because it starts, it also, we've been warning about this for decades. It starts in our college campuses. It starts in our schools. It starts in our, in our culture. We've seen it on campuses. We've seen it in culture. We're now seeing it in, co in Congress where ideas that once were foreign uh, to most Americans in terms of how radical they were about how much they really, it, it, not just embrace socialism, but how at the same time they, they teach young people and they teach people just in general, not just our students, somehow to hate America. They hate the things that were important about this great country. And I'm not talking about whitewashing all of our history. Yeah, there, there are challenges out there. We are a country uh, filled with imperfect leaders. Last I checked, the last perfect person to, to walk on this planet hasn't been around for about 2020 years or so. Uh, so short of that, there's no doubt uh, we are filled, uh, as the world is, with imperfect people. But we are a nation built uh, on, on this wonderful idea of freedom, freedom and opportunity for everyone, uh, that all people are created equal, that each of us are endowed with inalienable rights. Among those are life, really important issue to bring up today, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, we're a country uh, that continues to grow and prosper, a country that continues to evolve but will always be built on those, that fundamental principle of freedom. As conservatives, we need to tell that not just from our head but from our heart, talk about our love for freedom and talk about how we want our children and our children's children to live in a country that is free. And we want the same for our neighbor as well. Until next time, I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us. Keep fighting for freedom.